This is a Rooster Teeth production. Last week, we took a look at the investigation behind the famous Lindbergh kidnapping. Despite what may seem like an open and shut case, there are theories abound suggesting what actually happened. Today we will be diving into those theories, uncovering several wild and unexpected turns along the way. This is Red Web. The wait is over. We're ready to talk about the theories around the Lindbergh kidnapping. I'm Trevor Collins, your host, and with me as always, Alfredo Diaz. Ah! I thought one thing, now I'm thinking other things. <laughs> what is your gut telling you, just right off the bat, just off the top of the head, you know, we got a couple of, like, key pieces here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we talked about the investigation, we talked about the timeline therein. There's a lot of odd things that line up. Uh, you know, Charles taking over the investigation, the ladder's broken outside, young baby Lindbergh found in the woods fur- further away. Uh, apparently everybody was home. A lot of interesting details. Yeah, I mean, my gut tells me, like, you know, open and shut. That's it. Got right? I mean, it would. It, that makes sense. And that's really where the world has kind of left it to be. In fact, it's it's pop culture tends to think that the baby's still missing. So there's a lot of misinformation around this case, but... That's just a perfect time for us to dive right into the theories, starting with the the most obvious one is that Hauptmann was guilty, that he was the kidnapper, and that he acted alone. Because some argue that he had a, a great obsession with Lindbergh after he became famous. Obviously, as I hinted at earlier, he was the first nonstop flight from New York to Paris, and he won the heavily sought-after Ortigue Prize of $25,000, and, uh, Many people, well-funded, very skilled, tried to go after that and weren't able to do it. So, you know, there's a possibility that he was starstruck. Maybe uh, there's an obsession in place. And also, uh, again, obviously, the evidence seemed overwhelmingly against him. Oh, yeah. And uh, an iteration of this theory, a theory 1B, I would say, is that Hauptmann was the kidnapper. However, he had help. Mm-hmm. because the intricacy of the crime seems to indicate that, obviously, that this would be quite difficult. Uh, for starters, once again, that ladder being off to the side of the window simply, to me, seems very interesting. Somebody trying to get out of a window holding a young child uh, in one arm while trying to get out onto that ladder safely. No easy task. Right. Meanwhile, you also have uh, some individuals saying that they've heard... Hauptmann and somebody else speaking in German together about these plans, and we'll dive into that in a little bit. We also have Cemetery John earlier indicating that there were three men and two women total, so that seems to play into this as well. And reportedly, at the bottom of the ladder outside the house, there were two sets of footprints rather than just an individual. Yeah, to me, that's the one thing where I'm like, okay, there's the... There's the tangible evidence, right? Like mm-hmm. there's there's the hard evidence there. It's like, okay, two sets of footprints. That's where I go, okay. Because previously it was like, this person overheard this and this person said that. I'm like, well, yeah, but like, there's, there's always a lot of that hearsay, right. you know? True. And what's more that also plays into this is that in the ransom notes, it doesn't say I or me or anything like that. It says we when referring to the kidnapping party. 
And, oh. uh, and even further still, when Cemetery John was out there talking about the, the boat, you know, Nelly and the other individuals, when Condon was talking to him, it wasn't clear ultimately if Cemetery John was in fact Hauptman himself or if Cemetery John was a second party. And that's where I was kind of hinting at a future th upcoming theory here is that somebody inadvertently had heard this Cemetery John individual speaking to the Houtman individual and didn't know about it until down the line. But I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but there, there's some evidence here that these two are different people. And so there's a lot of evidence here to me that, uh, that Houtman was in play. However, there were others at work here. Okay, like help. Yeah, I mean, like the footprint stuff. I mean, but then, uh, oh God, I'm going back and forth. Like they said a lot of the uh, crime scenes and a lot of the evidence was tampered with. Like to what extent? Right. Yeah, because then you start wondering, okay, did people get on site a little too prematurely? Were, mm -hmm. were I don't know. It, and it's hard to say if it's two footprints or if it's him going up and down the ladder, pacing around, or if somebody got into the evidence in some way the next day and was stomping around trying to figure out what was yeah. going on. We don't know because those are that's one of the key pieces of evidence that, you know, as you mentioned, was was inadvertently tampered with by the mishandling of the site. Or maybe it was mishandled on purpose. Oh, oh my God. It's what have you done to me with this podcast? <laughs> or... Simply put, he's walking around on all fours. This guy's carrying a child on his back. <laughs> Safety first. <laughs> he's, he's got hands on his... Uh, he's got shoes on his hands. Shoes on his hands. And he's just <laughs> really trying to throw everyone for a loop. And let me tell you, I'm looped up. Yeah, I'm all looped up. <laughs> Spelling, make sure you hear it right. Looped. Okay. The next theory that I want to segue out of that one with is that Hauptman was actually innocent. And I know that we seem to have a lot of evidence against him, but again, a lot of that evidence was entirely circumstantial. There's no reliable witness that's placing him at the scene on, on the day, and his fingerprints were not found on the notes or anywhere on the, on the estate. Looking at the writing, there are some similarities, I have to say that, but on the whole, it's definitely like someone was trying to hide their handwriting, and so that makes it a very difficult challenge. The way he wrote your is very similar, the cursive Y and a lot of the letters that he used. So when it came to identifying this individual in a lineup, Condon was able to identify Houtman in a lineup and then Lindbergh identified him separately via his voice and by voice matching, which is interesting because Lindbergh himself had said previously to that moment that he was going to be unable to clearly identify the voice of this individual. So it almost seems a little coincidental, but I don't know. Like I don't know if he's fully innocent, to be honest. There's a lot of coincidence here. A lot of coincidence. Way up. too many coincidences. And like when he was, when he's pleading innocent, and he's consistently, you know, for years and years, mm -hmm. just like I'm innocent, I'm innocent, I'm innocent. Um, do we know if at any point he said I was framed? Ooh, that's a good question. You know what I mean? Because um, if he if he was just pleading innocent. And he really was. Uh, I would just be yelling at the top of my lungs. I was framed. Like, right. That wasn't mine. It wasn't there. Now, whether or not you believe me, you know, but if I was framed, I'd be yelling that. Right. Like, how did that money get into your possession? Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of that coincidence. Then again, you know, he's saying, I got this in a shoebox. I put it up on this shelf. And then the wife, who's also saying my husband, Houtman, is innocent. 
she's saying, I, I never saw that shoebox. So there's a lot of like, what really is at the core of a lot of this to me is the muddying up of potential evidence, right? The crime scene's all messed up in minor ways here and there. There's oddities like no fingerprints. And then when it comes to this guy, there's a lot of coincidences, but I don't know. It's, it's, there's a lot of mud when you look mm-hmm. deeper. Um, but Christian, do you know if he claimed that he was set up or anything more? Or, or did he just say, I didn't do it? From everything I've read, he only ever seemed to claim he was innocent. There was never anything about mm-hmm. being framed. Hmm. Man, I would... You know what I mean? I'm, I'd be like, I was framed and... <laughs> Listen, I know how this looks. Trying, trying to figure <laughs> out. Yeah. Look, I know that this box was here. It's not my box. I don't know, man. I would... I mean, yeah. So those are as you might call them, the more vanilla theories, right? Those are straight up from the investigation. That's exactly where your mind would go. Is it him? Is it not him? Is it him plus some others? Uh, but now now these theories are very intriguing to me, and this is where it starts to go off, off the rails a little bit, but with, with some surprising logic behind them. So okay. this next theory is that the child was murdered by Anne Morrow's sister, Elizabeth Morrow. Again, Anne Morrow is the child's mother, so this would be Lindbergh Jr.'s aunt, or aunt if you prefer. So supposedly, both Lindbergh and Elizabeth were initially courting each other. And this is in the early days. Charles Lindbergh uh, finds Elizabeth fascinating. He's trying to court her. But when Lindbergh flew over to meet her for the first time, she had left to attend to a sick brother. So instead, he met her sister, fell in love with her. Her name was Anne. And the rest is history. So reportedly, Elizabeth had a nervous breakdown from this event. And after the birth of their child, Charles Jr., Elizabeth continued to exhibit warning signs that led the parents to give orders that she not be left alone with the child. What? Mm-hmm. I would go even further personally and say, I don't want this person to see the child. I understand there's a uh, unfortunate series of events here, but, you know... Ah, man, not not a good not a good start. So servants in the house had actually filed affidavits, which is essentially a written statement, an oath under law, penalty of, of law, that Elizabeth murdered the family dog and once threw the child out with the garbage. So the servants of the home are saying, yeah, she's problematic. She has done these things. And if I'm lying, I will be put in jail. Murdered the family dog and threw the child out with the garbage. See, here's the thing. Usually when we dive into these conspiracies, mm-hmm. I'm sitting here like, mm, I need evidence. I need hard proof yeah. of any kind, even just a little bit. But you're hitting me with two theories where I'm just like, ah, there's a lot of proof there mm-hmm. and there's a lot of proof here. Like A little sprinkling, a little dusting of proof, man. It's, and this is what has made this case so fascinating for me because I, like a lot of people listening right now, felt like I was very familiar with this case, with this mystery, as it yeah, were. big famous case. You've heard yeah. about it. People you know have talked about it. You think it's uh, very cut and dry, very clear. But man, the, the deeper you look and uh, the harder you look at some of these theories, too, is that there there really is a lot of material there to sink your teeth into. And it makes and it makes you go, wow, I had no idea this this, this was all here. And maybe like most theories, that there's a little combination of these theories, right? But um, But man... So anyway, the theory continues on to say that she eventually cracked and murdered the child and the family spent time creating a cover story in order to 
protect their, obviously, their family member. But, like, I mean, look, I don't care if you're blood. If you murdered my kid, I'm not protecting you, even if you have gone off the deep end. Like, it's game. Blouses. Yeah. Go. Yeah. No, I'm turning you in. <laughs> it's over. You'll have some pancakes and get out. Uh, like, yeah. It's interesting. That's it's, a hard it really buy. is interesting. I think there's something here that that I want to earmark. For now, if we're if we're like every time we discuss a theory, I want to make sure that we assume that that one is the only theory. But let's let's assume that this is the theory that this is the correct instance, right? Mm-hmm. This is what happened. It makes me start to realize that the coincidences that fell upon Houtman could be that. It could be coincidence because there's so many things like I got the money in a shoebox. However, the wife's like, I haven't seen the shoebox. Uh, you know, whatever it is, it just seems like if they were going to actually cover up the the ant doing the murder, that they found this poor sap nearby and loaded yeah. them up with all this stuff. But he would have said something, right? He, he, That's what I'm saying. So it's I like scream that at the top of your lungs. Exactly. Like, Unless he had some sort of dirt on him, but then you can go back and forth theoretically all day. But like, even if you have, even if the person has dirt on you, like, what is worse? Right. Right? Like, you're going to be sentenced. You're sentenced anyway, right? Yeah, yeah, you're sentenced anyway. Like, that's as worse as it can get. Like, what is, mm-hmm. what happens from there? You know, that's, that's going to be worse than that. Yeah. The next theory, this one kind of has some room to overlap with the previous one, if that's the way you want to take it. But as a standalone, essentially, this theory states that Lindbergh, the father, helped cover it up. Not necessarily that he did it, not necessarily that we know who did it, but that he did help cover it up. A history professor by the name of Lloyd C. Gardner has multiple points in order to support this theory, such as uh, the kidnapping occurred during a period of time where the family members of the rich and famous were often taken by criminals and usually gang members. So this was not an unfortunate, this was not a rare occurrence, unfortunately. Um, so this is something that is, that's, that's happened before. And so I think what he's laying down is essentially, this is a good story to go with. Uh, mm, if, if something yeah. else has happened, like this is happening to a lot of people, mm-hmm. like no one's going to look at me because mm-hmm. everyone's, you know, the world is experiencing this. Right. So with his celebrity at the time, he would obviously be a prime target. So again, yes, you could either take the path that, uh, that is what happened and it was Houtman, et cetera, or you can go down this path. And here's where it gets very interesting. And I, this is something that I had no idea about. Lindbergh himself was interested in social Darwinism and began to promote his belief in eugenics, which went, quote, hand in hand with his pro-German feelings before the war, end quote. Now, this is a very good moment to mention that during his marriage, he had separate affairs off in Germany uh, with three separate women resulting in a total of seven children. Oh, damn. So he has these affairs in Germany, but even further, he's rubbed shoulders with Nazi leadership. He's earned accolades from them. Oh, no. And to be specific, these accolades were earned for his uh, 1927 flight, the transatlantic flight that went from New York to Paris. He received dozens of medals and accolades, as I had mentioned, One such medal that I was kind of hinting at was the Service Cross of the German Eagle. And he was given that in 1938 by a man named Hermann Goering. And that was on behalf of Adolf Hitler. 
And so, sure, you know, you you might just say, well, he's a famous guy. He made this flight. The Germans are saying, hey, good on you. Because for all their cruelty, all their evil, they were they pushed science a lot. Uh, And scientific Mm -hmm. achievement meant a lot to the Nazi party. But it was also a propaganda move. But upon looking further into it, he certainly had pro-German feelings, like I had mentioned, ideas of eugenics, and shared a lot of the problematic beliefs of the German oh. Nazi party, to put it lightly. Oh, um, this, is, this is a mess. It's it's a mess. It really this, is. It's just that we unboxed it, and it's just goop everywhere. It's goop. They didn't even tape it. It's leaking all over my it's lap. So my good genes. But the reason I bring this up is because it is quite possible that his child had health issues, even though it was downplayed and hidden from the public. For example, the child appeared to have rickets-like condition that affected his bone development. He required doses of vitamin D and daily exposure to a sun lamp. Uh, He also had hammer toes on his left foot and an overly large head with unfused skull bones. Another piece of information that I touched on earlier was on his right foot, some of the toes overlapped as indicated by his nurse and the body was able to be identified by the father due to the problematic dental conditions that he had. His teeth were growing in and were kind of overlapping and crooked. And so that's how Charles was able to identify his son earlier on in the investigation. Mm -hmm. And so all of these things combined, you know, Charles Lindbergh is is a successful, famous, six foot four, white male, blonde hair, you know, and he has these beliefs about him. And so one one can kind of connect the dots and say like he maybe he wasn't so proud of this child that he had. And whatever it is that went down, it might have been something that Lindbergh was wanting to do or was behind. And we'll get more specifically into that in the next theory. But there is. There is motive, I think, here for him to cover it up and be like, whatever, it's no loss because of the ways he, you know, believed. Right. Very messy stuff. That's so, that's so extreme too. Mm Mm-hmm. And remember, he insisted that he would lead this investigation. And at times, that command that of the investigation uh, was pretty questionable. You know, he prevented household staff who may have had knowledge of the child's medical conditions from speaking with authorities. He also, remember, ordered the cremation of his son very quickly, very shortly after the autopsy. And it was a short autopsy nonetheless. You know, it said, yep, he took a contusion of the head. That was the cause of death. Okay, burn the body. We're done here. And he never really allowed the autopsy to go much further than that, to go fully in depth. God, the authorities really dropped the ball by letting him... Yeah. Charge of the this, this investigation. He's a civilian. He's a civilian. That's that comes first and foremost. Not his celebrity, not how much you know him or think you know him, you know. That's whatever. How many people know you has no bearing on your ability to yeah. hold down a case like this. So even even outside of being personally invested in it, I I don't know if I could ever lead an investigation against something like this on my own family. I would just be too yeah. distraught. One last piece on this on this particular theory. Lindbergh also arrived home late that day, the day of the kidnapping, after inexplicably missing a public speaking event. And I also want to add one in here too that I didn't have written down, but I also read again that he was in the study below the bedroom, that his window looked out to where the ladder was. And again, that's just, if you're saying that's where you were, 
I can understand maybe missing the ladder or whatever, but with all these other pieces here in play, it really starts to build a story, a different story that I was kind of blindsided by. I just wasn't expecting until Christian and I started researching this mm -hmm. topic a little more. Hello, everybody. It's me, your mystery enthusiast in a box. I guess that depends on however you listen to this podcast. It's me, Trevor, here with a few words from our sponsors. But first, I want to say here in this part two, it's been really fascinating reading a bunch of your theories, whether you left them in the reviews section, the comments section, or on Twitter, in the various ways that you can engage with this show. It's been really cool to, to see how you guys engage with this one in particular. The last time we did a two-parter, it was kind of a, a different situation. So to hear your guys' theories before we get into them has been really, really neat. So keep them coming. At Red Web Pod is where you can follow us on social media, mostly Twitter at the moment. But you know what? Maybe we'll invest in that Instagram platform someday. Uh, who knows? I got to grow some more thumbs for that. Oh, news. I do want to say this. Fredo, wake up. Hey, you there? Oh, hey, baby. Guess what? We have uh, some merchandise in the Rooster Teeth store. If you go to store.roosterteeth.com, people can get some merch. You got a shirt, I think a coffee mug there. Dude, we got sweet merch. The show's been doing well that we got merch now. We got merch now. And you can, you know, you can't investigate without sipping on some nice beverage. You know, if you want to sip on a coffee, a tea, or anything in between, a cough tea, pff, I don't know if you want that, <laughs> Man, but you can put I, it in there. No, don't. <laughs> you got to get those natural coffee rings on the table, you know? <laughs> really age it out. Yeah, that's how you know that you're an investigator. But hey, if you want to support the show, you can do that by going to store.roosterteeth.com and cop yourself some Red Web merch. It's all going to be there, but to make it simple, if you want, you can just use the search icon and type in Red Web, and it'll take you right to those pieces of merch. But here's a word from our sponsors. This episode of Red Web is sponsored by HelloFresh. Get fresh, pre-measured ingredients and mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door with HelloFresh. HelloFresh lets you skip those trips to the grocery store and makes home cooking fun, easy, and affordable. HelloFresh offers convenient no-contact delivery to your doorstep for easy home cooking with the family. You can easily change your delivery days or meal plan preferences and skip a week whenever you need right on the app. Feeding your family has never been easier with lower prices for larger box sizes, so more servings means more savings. HelloFresh delivers fresh, high-quality pre-portioned ingredients so you can make meals that are delicious and nutritious, which is very important, I think. There's something everyone will enjoy, including 20-minute meals, low-calorie, vegetarian, kid-approved recipes, and more. I, for myself, I have a whole bout of recipes that they give you with them. You can hear their nice hard card stock there. But my favorite one recently was the crispy buffalo spice chicken. It had blue cheese sauce, scallion mashed potatoes, and roasted carrots. They made it so easy, like they say. All the ingredients are pre-proportioned, so you can just open up the bag. You got everything you need right there. Wash off your veggies, chop them up, and off you go. You're cooking. And it makes you feel like you know what you're doing in the kitchen. Uh, you know, you feel like a, a professional chef. It's very tasty. And like they say, it is nutritious, and it makes it easy. I know after a long day of work, I don't want to stress over what I'm going to eat. Boom. Pull out one of these cards. Get out one of those bags of pre-proportioned ingredients. Boom. I'm cooking with the best of them. So go to HelloFresh.com slash RedWeb90 and use code RedWeb90 to get $90 off, including free shipping. That's $90 off, including free shipping, by going to HelloFresh.com slash RedWeb90 and entering the code RedWeb90 as well. That's $90 off. This is the holiday time. This is no, no better time to get yourself some nice, 
dinners, meals. If you want it lunch, you, hey, you can have buffalo chicken for breakfast if you want. Or maybe you want to give it to a friend. It's a good gift for the holidays. This episode of RevWeb is also sponsored by HBO Max. In true 2020 fashion, the holidays are going to look a little different this year. That's why we've partnered with HBO Max to keep the spirit of togetherness alive with their library of feel-good films for the holiday season. HBO Max has so many classic holiday films now streaming like Holiday Affair and A Christmas Carol. Now that one, A Christmas Carol, is a, is a classic in my family. I don't know if you guys have your own classics that you guys like to watch, but man, every Christmas, boom, that one's on the TV. We're all watching it. Whether the family's over or not, we just put it on loop really just wearing that old DVD in, but thanks to HBO Max, you don't have to worry about that DVD. Throw it out the window, stream it to your heart's content as long as you want, as many times as you want. But hey, if you're in the mood for some more true crime, because I know you are and I know I am, there's more true crime content here during the holidays and you can head over to HBO Max to get more of that true crime, okay? During the holidays, you can watch The Vow. You got Jinx, another classic, or I'll Be Gone in the Dark. And a lot of really strong true crime uh, shows over there available for you because I know you're all interested in just, it's the holiday season, but it's always the season for true crime, isn't it? So get cozy at home this holiday season by heading over to hbomax.com now. Now, without further ado, why don't we wrap up these theories? Maybe you parked one in the back of your mind that you think maybe, maybe this is the last one. Maybe I got it right. Maybe I figured out the whole kidnapping. Well, we'll find out right now. And that leads us very gently into this next theory, which is simply that Lindbergh himself was the one who killed the child. Uh, and I don't mean that out of particular malice or out of intent. And uh, so I'll clarify here, but similar to the previous theory, you know, it's possible that he was ashamed of his child due to health conditions and all these other, you know, pretty, pretty terrible things, pretty terrible beliefs, you know, to put it lightly. However, Lindbergh was also known to play practical jokes and cruel practical jokes at times. For example, one such joke involved him hiding the child in the closet and then telling his wife, Anne, that the son had disappeared. That doesn't seem like a great prank, but this theory claims that he wanted to sneak into the child's room, quietly pick up his son and appear at the front door with the child in his arms. I don't know what the intent was other than to really throw his wife for a loop yeah. or to just kind of like... It's like cruel jokes. Yeah, just really mess with people's heads. Oh. The more I'm hearing about this person, the more I hate this person. And I never thought yeah. since the beginning, like, you know, when we first started this whole entire pot, this whole entire episode that we mm -hmm. would be here. Yeah. And that's and that's what really, like, shocked me, too. You know, uh, I... I thought you, you think you know somebody at a cursory glance, you know, you know, they're a celebrity, you don't know them, but you know of them. These these Nazi pieces and this eugenic stuff, I had no idea about. And I'm kind of shocked that, you know, I mean, yeah, sure. It's the 30s. But come on, man. Come on, America. Like, recognize, right. recognize mm -hmm. your heroes. But anyway, the theory continues on to say this. He wanted to show up at the front door. So how do you do that? You got to sneak out the window. So he starts to head out the window, son in his arms, tries to go for the ladder, which was still a makeshift ladder. This isn't just a robust store-bought ladder. It's a wood one that someone crafted. And the ladder broke while Lindbergh was climbing down and the child died quickly thereafter, suffering a blow to the head from the fall. And remember, 
It was evidential that the ladder broke either on the way up or on the way down, and the child did die of a blow to the head on the just behind the left ear. And so this is very, very possible. Honestly, like taking Houtman aside for a second, just ignoring that piece, everything that I'm hearing about Lindbergh and in these theories is is almost spooky possible. Like, yeah. Very, very possible. Lindbergh then would obviously need to hide the body, and uh, the body was found four and a half miles away, so Lindbergh would have had to go on quite the walk, but then hid the body in the nearby woods and went back home and faked oh. the initial ransom note. Some experts say that the initial note did seem a little off, as if it were in fact written by an English speaker attempting to sound Germanic rather than by a German person themselves. And that's where I earmarked the, the misspellings and uh, some of the grammar pieces. The grammar makes sense mm -hmm. by somebody who doesn't know English super well. Right. One would think that after speaking with Hauptmann that they would get a strong grasp of their ability to use English grammar or not, right? And I haven't heard any one way or the other on Hauptmann's grammar and his use of English. Oh, okay. Sounds pretty straightforward. But if if there was something, you know, if there was something to be said there, like, yeah, Hauptmann was not a very strong English speaker, so bang. But no one really said any of that. But they also didn't, I don't know. Christian, do we know if he was like a pretty fluent English speaker? Nothing that I was reading seemed to yeah. indicate otherwise. Yeah, see, like, to me, this is a German guy. This is a note that experts are saying might be from a German person or might not. I feel like that should have been more discussed around Hauptmann. However, I digress. The point I want to come back to is that the spelling in this in this letter, you want to say it's phonetic. You want to say that, sure, a German person not great on English would kind of spell anything. I don't know if a German person would say anything with any ding, the TH turning into a D. That's that's there is possi a possibility of that. But some of the misspellings in here, they just don't line up with somebody who is using English as a second language. I would I would expect misspellings in different ways or mm -hmm. words to be misplaced. I wouldn't expect three-year-olds, you know, or, or elementary level spelling mistakes. You know, it's, uh, I don't know. That, right. that might just be my own personal conjecture, How but. Would, like, no, no, like, I don't know, like a lead detective or anything like that. How come like, no one covered i don't know man it's wild yeah it, if there was it, a setup it's like i would yell that from the top of my lungs exactly and even then it's just like if it was you know why are we not looking at the person closest to the child isn't that you know protocol mm -hmm. but i mean you know this was bad well it's, then. it's clear that there's a uh inherent bias here due to his celebrity or whatever it might be because you know chief of police out here going yeah go ahead take the case yeah, run away with it yeah you're um, wrong. so like that's also the person you would want to, in your heart of hearts, least suspect, right? You yeah. would want to least suspect them because they're the father, because they're a celebrity, and you and you want to see them as a hero yourself. So there's a lot of glossing over that might have happened. But either way, however this theory lands on the false or true side, there are still problematic parts to Lindbergh that uh, are, are surprising nonetheless. But that leads us to our final theory, and that is simply that the child was swapped. And this again builds a little bit off of the uh, previous theories with Lindbergh and his positioning with the child and its medical concerns. Whoa. But ultimately, 
multiple people over these past years have claimed to be the real Lindbergh child. The person that was swapped for one reason or another. All right, this is this that's a wild that's a wild theory. That's crazy. It's a wild theory that today we can test with DNA. And I don't know if we have. <laughs> I don't know if I'm jumping the gun on anything, but let's go back. January 1936 in Akron, Ohio, authorities investigated claims that a man named Bobby Dolphin had been swapped for the child by his mother, Glendora Dory Dolphin. Dory was unable to defend herself since she passed away in December of 1934. Dolphin fit the physical description of the Lindbergh child, blue eyes, curly blonde hair, dimpled chin, and it was claimed that before this, Dolphin, the child, did not have curly hair. So there's like one tick there. Mm -hmm. Dolphin also had overlapping toes on his right foot, a trait that he shared with the Lindbergh child. Dory had taken her son to New Jersey days before the kidnapping under the guise of visiting a sick uncle. And after returning two weeks later, she was seen carrying a large wad of money. Other family members and friends claimed that the child was noticeably different. And I have a few quotes here from, uh, from several different family members. Ira Meyer was quoted as saying, quote, I looked at the child and was amazed to see that the child was a third larger than Bobby had been. Also, he had curly hair where the original Bobby had one little tuft of straight hair. I figured her own baby had died and that she had adopted another child." End quote. A woman named Esther Ebert gave a very similar story. She said, quote, After Dory returned from her trip, I was called back to the house. There was a child there, but it was not Bobby. I said to her, Why, Mrs. Dolphin, that is not Bobby. Oh yes it is, she said, only they fed him up at the hospital and he got bigger and his hair got curly. End quote. But the most condemning statement came from Dolphin's father himself, Andrew Dolphin, who said, quote, They informed me my son was very ill. When I arrived home, I found a perfectly healthy child who didn't resemble my baby at all. Later, I noticed that my wife had plenty of money, and she could not seem to explain to me where she had got it. End quote. It's worth noting here, though, that he did dispute these initial quotes later, saying, quote, all I said was that he didn't look very sick after the operation. I never said he didn't look like the same child, end quote. Mm -hmm. So these are these are personal testimonials, right? Um, yeah. there, there could be some falsities in here or, or anything or some mistake of identity. But it's odd to me that friends, close friends and family members are all kind of coming forward with very similar like, that's a different baby. In a couple of days, no less. This isn't some sort of growth spurt. I just don't understand why the investigation went this uh, every the million people saying a million different things and then there's so many theories that actually have some like you know pretty it's a pretty good weight pretty solid evidence to it and so why wasn't this like okay we gotta just we gotta pull back and we gotta take a look at this and investigate ourselves because there's just a lot of just mischief going on right yeah, and, and to me too, again, the theory proposes the child was swapped. However, it doesn't propose the reason why. And if you do, again, as we consider this theory, let's assume it's true, we assume the child is swapped, and then you have to wonder, okay, is it because Charles Lindbergh was ashamed of his child who was genetically, let's just say, inferior in his opinion, and he didn't want the child in his life anymore, so on one hand, did he stage the death of this child? And on the other hand, did he kind of 
give this child to another family who was in need. Maybe this original baby, Bobby Dolphin, who was ill, maybe that child had passed away. And so maybe there's this very weird nebulous narrative here where Charles is saying, well, I have a child that I am ashamed of and you need a child and I'll pay you off to be silent. But then Charles has the issue of now I got to frame somebody else for supposedly killing the child. But then whose child was in the woods? <laughs> uh, this has gone off the deep end. It's 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 just a mess. It, it really is that, like you said, that big old box of goopy mess. But let's add a little bit more mess on top before we oh, end this no, podcast. More goop. <laughs> so Dory, the mother, also supposedly knew Sharp. You'll remember her as the maid who committed suicide during the investigation. The person who had the alibi that actually came through, but still committed suicide by cyanide before they could be questioned for the fourth time. However, there is no proof of their relationship, uh, and the theory states that Sharp killed herself to hide the fact that she was involved in the kidnapping, but some say she did it to hide the fact that she cheated on her fiance, which is a totally separate matter. Whoa. A totally separate matter. But we're just adding more twists and turns. Perhaps, and this is my own personal conjecture to go along with this theory, that maybe Sharp um, was the person, because again, Bobby Dolphin and Dory, the mother, went off to New Jersey to a hospital. Maybe Sharp was the one, assuming this theory is correct, that scooped up Baby Junior and went to the very same hospital where the swap happened, the payoff happened, etc. You know, so maybe, maybe uh, her alibi was solid, but she was escaping something else. But that is still up in the air. It's still, regardless, an unfortunate turn of events for Sharp. And one last piece here. Dorfin's fingerprints were compared to the prints taken from one of the Lindbergh's toys, and there was no match. So you'll recall, and I want to recognize this, oh. that there were no fingerprints at the site, you know. Um, however, that doesn't mean there's no fingerprints in the house. So they looked at one of the Lindbergh child's toys elsewhere in the house, uh, where they could find a fingerprint to try to match it to Dorfin's, the other child, to say, okay, was there a swap? What's going on here? Or, or maybe this is the mother they're talking about. But there was no match, regardless of who it was. So that's just another piece, another wrench to throw into this theory to add a little bit of, well, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I just, dude, I was pulled left and right. But like, I mean, yeah. we've had episodes before where I'm just like, I'm getting pulled all over the place. I have no idea what's going on. But here, it's just like, that makes sense. There's a little bit of proof there. There's a little bit of proof there. And oh, damn. I can see why this was a popular one. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And, and to me, I, the Houtman stuff is either too good to be true, like too bulletproof, if that can be a thing, that that indicates Charles Lindbergh was involved in some way, or Charles Lindbergh worked with Houtman in order to facilitate whatever was going down. I really, it's really hard to say. But I, again, like most podcasts, most episodes that we have, I feel like there's a little bit of nuggets of truth throughout this that you can kind of ebb and weave through a few of these theories to make a separate theory that kind of enraptures a few of them. Ugh. Man, it's it's a messy one. It's a messy one. I would love to hear what all of you think. It's messy, uh, but like, in a, <laughs> I mean, granted, like a child died here, but like, right. I'm talking about like, and for, you know, as a conspiracy in a good way. Um, like I said, cause there's just so much tangible evidence here and there, mm -hmm. you know, there's like, okay, this usually sometimes like there's a lot of hearsay with what we're talking about. Like this person sure. said this, I'm just like, ah, nope. can't like put any weight in, in, you know, right. You can't just believe that. 
Yeah. And here I'm just like, oh, okay, all right. Well, that that could work. That could right. work too. Yeah, it's good in the sense, not in a positive way, obviously, of course. Yeah. But it's good in the sense that, like, finally, like, I feel like we got a, a situation here that has some really strong grounding evidence. However, a lot of that grounding evidence goes for completely different theories mm-hmm. that are sometimes conflicting or sometimes overlap and might assist the other theory in being real. But, man, are there a lot of twists and turns in this. Ugh. Another interesting tidbit about this case, before we end, we're outside of the theories here now, is that uh, this was such a, a big case that it actually set a precedent. And because of this case, Congress passed the Federal Kidnapping Act in June of 1932, also known as the Lindbergh Law. Essentially, what it did was allow the federal government to step into situations like this. Uh, if there was a kidnapping, let's just say in New Jersey, and that person fled to another state, Well, New Jersey is now left to their own devices to figure out how they pursue this person. They don't really have the means like the federal government would. So it's an unfortunate situation that happened uh, in this particular case, but it did set a precedent moving forward that the federal government could step in, help investigate, help chase down any perpetrators of of crimes of this nature. But it also, uh, like I said, kind of forbid the transportation of any person in interstate or foreign commerce, kidnapping, or otherwise unlawfully detained, and made such an act a felony. As always, you know, I want to point you guys to our social media, at RedWebPod. We'll put up some imagery there that will, uh, you know, help elucidate you further on uh, some of the things that we talked about, like the ladder, or perhaps the autopsy sketch of the skull, things like that. Any visual assets that will help kind of build out the stories that we tell here. But that's also a great place for you to tell us what your thoughts are on uh, on the theories or how this kind of how this cookie crumbles, as we like to say. Mm. Oh my goodness, <laughs> this is like weighing on me. I'm just like I don't I don't know. Usually I kind of like lean to to one theory or another. I'm just mm-hmm. I don't know. This one's just so rough because I'm like, I feel personally invested in it. Just because of the nature of everything here. There's a child, an innocent child, regardless of what happened, is the victim. And to me, that like that's why I'm like, I I need there to be an answer. I'm I really want out of these theories the truth to come forward. But that's what makes, you know, the mysteries and true crime topics like this so so difficult at times. But oh. I was just rough to stomach during some parts, but mm-hmm. yeah, I just, oh my goodness. I feel like nowadays you wouldn't be able to get away with this. Oh God, no. I think and thankfully. more of like a, the times during the times type thing. Right. You know, one of those ones that just, uh, the technology wasn't there. It just wasn't yeah. where it needed to be in order to facilitate. And also if you want to be like, Hey, truth. I'm famous. I'm going to run my own investigation. It's like, oh, okay. No, but, uh, hold uh, on. Uh, 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 pause. Yeah, no, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, no pass. Um, but yeah, that that is the Charles Lindbergh kidnapping. Um, again, a dark story, but I hope you enjoyed the the breakdown of the mystery and the theories therein. Man, I was I was turned on to information that I was never aware of, but I thought I knew this case, so I was really really excited to cover this one. Uh, if you guys like this episode, feel free to let your friends know. If, if you think that they'll like true crime podcasts, mysteries, conspiracies, things of that nature, that's the best way to support this podcast is letting your friends know. Uh, word of mouth is the best way to spread podcasts. Also, if you listen on iTunes, feel free to give us a five-star review or whatever you think is appropriate. Uh, we always appreciate 
the, the reviews. And sometimes you guys offer uh, suggestions for mysteries and the like, whether it be on social or in comments section, like on our website at roosterteeth.com, or suggestions also sometimes crop up in the reviews. We love reading those. Uh, we've got a whole list of those um, suggestions coming down the pipeline, so keep them coming. Uh, but otherwise, thank you all very much for continuing to listen. We appreciate you greatly, and we'll see you next Monday for another mystery. Mystery.